Hi, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Game Changers podcast. I am your host, Lee Hackett. B2B Game Changers is the result of my hunger to help companies of all shapes and sizes unlock the value in their business. This podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I have learned in the process of working with some of the most successful companies and individuals in the world. We'll be featuring leaders from across the world to discuss the forces, opportunities, and challenges that are shaping the future of sales and marketing. Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Game Changers podcast. Got a great guest today, Alex Schutman, CEO of Workfront. Alex has actually been a guest on my podcast before, a number of years ago, but um, Alex, thanks for coming back and taking the time to do it again. Yeah, a little bit different circumstance. Last time we were live over Green Park and now we're live separated at least six feet apart. We are, but you've got a great backdrop there. Is that Utah? Uh, actually, that's Colorado. So that backdrop is near Breckenridge, Colorado. That's uh, Lake Dillon, which is uh, beautiful this time of year. Yeah, but it is. Yeah. And I, I was just saying uh, before we started, it's uh, it's really hot here. So I'm kind of mic'd up. I've got headphones on. All of these things are, are now necessary because we're doing them from home. So if I'm sweating through it, you know what's going on. So. <laughs> Well, I wish you were here, Lee. It's uh, I can't do the Fahrenheit conversion quickly, but it was about 50 degrees this morning when the sun rose. So that's wow. Fahrenheit. Wow. Was you out trading or? Yeah, running or? It was be- yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. A yeah, beautiful it was. So that's why you were up at like 3 a.m. because that's, that's the right. only time of day you can run in that, in that kind of weather. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine who's in Dubai, he's a runner and he, he sent me a, an Instagram post, I think the other day it was 50 three and it was 9am. So, um, and he was doing about 25k and I I just kind of, it was horrendous, horrendous. Well, I'm 53 Fahrenheit, not Celsius. So it's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You definitely need to get the conversions right in the show notes because we're going to confuse people. But look, thanks for coming on. The reason I want to get you on is because I want to talk about, you know, strategy and how strategy to execution has always been important, you know, in any business, but particularly now, there's lots of different things which are driving businesses to have to move quicker. And I think you could probably say most businesses have had to pivot their strategy in some way, change the business model, whatever that might be. Um, So I want to cover that. And I kind of want to also try and link into that OKRs because I think that's something I know you're passionate about, and I am too. And I think we can talk a little bit about that and what the benefits are of of those. Because I also think that it links into a product and a feature that you have coming out uh, soon, right? Which I think is also super interesting and very much of the moment and needed right now. But look, before we do that, let's get a couple of, a little bit of history. So, and go back a little bit. So, why did you join Workfront? You know, obviously, because I know you've been in marketing for quite a while, right? And, uh, you know, from Eloqua, and I think there's been a few other things. But, you know, take us back a little bit. What was the reason you joined Workfront? Yeah, it was not part of my plan. I was at a really wonderful company called Aptio, run by 
good friend of mine, Sunny Gupta, in kind of essentially in a bit of a COO role at Aptio. And Aptio actually ended up going public. And then recently it was bought by Vista Equity. But about 90 days before Aptio went public, a company called Workfront came and said, hey, would you be interested in considering being the CEO of Workfront? I said, of course not. We're about to go public as a company, and that's a great fun event. We got to do that at Eloquo. It was a great fun event. Uh, I want to stay at Aptio and, and do that. But then they just said, would you just look a little bit about what our customers are doing with our technology? Um, and Lee, I'm, I'm kind of fortunate because I've been able to see almost every major system of record come into an enterprise. I was at IBM when SAP came around, you know, and then you saw the sales for the Salesforce boom. You know, I was fortunate to be at Eloqua. And what I knew is that there was still one part of the organization that didn't have an application that it could do its work in, right? If you look at the way we look at the world, there's 400 million knowledge workers, in companies with over a thousand employees, and 180 million of them have a job that has an application built for them. They're in sales, they can use Salesforce. They're in human resources, they can use Workday. They're in accounting, they can use NetSuite. There's 220 million people that don't have an application to manage the work that they need to do, and that's what Workfront could do. And so, in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the last great system opportunity in the enterprise. And so I chose uh, to leave Aptio right before it went public and come to Workfront. And so internally, I kind of joked that I wrote the biggest check to join the company. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, it's a good anecdote. Because that at that time, when, when Eloqua was around, yeah. when, you, when it went public, and I think it was, you know, or was it, is that when it was bought by Oracle or is it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that was when marketing was exploding. As yeah, well. Just kind of, if you think about really the early days of the marketing technology boom, what really helped Eloqua was all of the B2B marketing executives could see how the consumer was dealing with the internet and they could see that digital marketing was coming. And that was really great help for uh, Eloqua. But the thing that Eloqua didn't really have in it and this is why Workfront's been so successful inside of marketing. Eloqua really didn't have a way to manage the work of the marketer, right? Eloqua was fantastic at executing what the marketer had decided to do, but all of the work before execution, Eloqua didn't do. And, and that's what Workfront's been really uh, great at in terms of helping uh, marketers, especially as, as you know, Lee, because you do this quite a bit, as marketers have pivoted to... Uh, trying to really manage the consumer experience or the customer experience. There's a lot of work that has to happen for that to be successful. Huge, oh, huge. And I know you've got a lot of customers. You know, what is it, three, 4,000? Yeah, a little bit over 3,000 customers today. Yeah. So in my experience with our clients, the amount of clients that actually have a solution like Workfront is still tiny. Right. Anecdotally, yeah. I don't have any data to that, but what, what would be the kind of market penetration that, you know? Oh, it's still, it's still at its infancy, right? I mean, we've got a great relationship with Adobe right now. We've built integrations into many of the Adobe products. We were the first company that had a native integration to their new AEM for cloud. And we look at just, just working with Adobe and gosh, there's a billion dollar opportunity for us just 
than working with Adobe. So it's still fairly lightly penetrated. And one of the reasons why we had our customer advisory board meeting this week, I won't name the company, but one of the senior executives from one of the largest healthcare organizations in the States was on and he said, the thing about the challenge that I have is I'm trying to ask marketers to plan and to orchestrate their work. And that's not a negative to marketers. That's just the nature of how we've worked as marketers. And so that's the whole opportunity is to help marketers kind of just barely organize their work, but still allow them all the creative freedom that uh, that makes them great. Yeah, I think it's a, um, you know, my, I've been in this industry since 2013. So I came from outside of the industry. I think marketers have always kind of specialized in getting things done as being the key measurement, right? So volume, right? And, but there's never really been a a moment. There has been, of course, anecdotally with saying clients who really zoomed in on this, you know, the the clients who are kind of ahead of the game, but there's never really been a, a kind of trend to think, right, let's really drill down on what we do and how we do it. What's our operating model, right? You know, who are our target market? And let's line all of our workflow against that. And what campaigns do we do? Can we standardize those? Can we get, you know, standard campaign intake forms that, you know, we can then align with our agencies on? And my kind of hypothesis on that, and I'm interested in your view, is because marketing's had a great run, an amazing run, a ton of investment in that area. And of course, that has yielded some results. But do you think now because of the circumstances we're in, because of the the economy, the way that's maybe going to be for the next two to three years, that you know this subject has just become the real issue to deal with in terms of you know the accountability of marketing and what they get done and how they do it. Yeah, Dooley, if you think about marketing in the past, and this analogy may not play out because I've I just thought of it when you were talking, but you know if you're merely a quartet, a string quartet. You need to practice, but you don't need the conductor. But if you're a complete orchestra, you need the conductor. And when you think about what a company has to do to win in the marketplace today, the level of personalized experience that it needs to deliver, the full conversation through the full life cycle of a relationship with a buyer that is now a very complex piece of work. If you think about the amount of content that needs to be created, if you think about the amount of channels that you need to deliver that into, if you think about synchronizing that to where the customer is in the relationship with you, you've now gone from a string quartet to a full orchestra. And so I think that the conductors win. I think the future of the marketer is the conductor wins. And and to be a conductor You've got to have some, whether it's not at work front or whatever, you've got to have some level of transparency into knowing what folks are working on and some ability to sequence the work. And so, yeah, from my perspective, a great orchestra leader wins in marketing in the future. And to your point, what that great orchestra leader is really good at is turn them back around to the business and say, you gave me a dollar and I gave you two dollars. Yeah, completely. And I, th- I think it's a great analogy. And I think that's, I've seen that anecdotally in, you know, since 2013, in regards to the businesses that really get it, you know, the CMOs or whatever, that they know they've got to do these things at scale. And, 
you know, the only way to do that at scale is a really tight orchestration. I think the barrier to entry for that for me has always been a one, the knowledge gap, right? So the business knows they have a problem, but they don't know how to fix that problem, which is, you know, where you guys come in and where we come in. But the other, the gap to that is because, you know, the status quo, you know, the status quo was, you know, well, let's just keep doing what we're doing, right? It's going to be harder to change, right? You know, people are going to leave. They're not going to like it. We're going to drive accountability and all of those things, the impact of that. And you know what? We're kind of making it work now. So let's keep doing what we're doing. I'm kind of, I'm really interested in, and I already see it from our clients. You know, I had a client yesterday who had spoken to this client over the last two years about operating models, about standardization, um, about go-to-market strategies, all of these kind of component parts. And it was, look, definitely, but I'll get around to that, right? You know, we just, we've got to keep doing what we're doing. We've got to do that better, but with small incremental changes. And he called me yesterday, he's based over in Australia, and he said, look, I need to sort that out, right? You know, my CEO is now asking those questions, right? You know, and I need to now, I've got to do more with less. And, you know, I need to be much more impactful with, you know, a lot less, you know, revenue and a lot less opportunity in terms of budget. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. And I think that's why I want to get you on because, you know, I think also align your product that you've got coming, you know, could help that because you also got to do these things fast, right? In terms of how do we get the business lined up to that? So look, one other thing before we get into the OKRs and strategy execution is you did a, you wrote a book, Done Right. And that was the name of the book. We'll put the link in the show notes to it. But 2018, I think I... You fell asleep reading it. No, I didn't. 2018. I, <laughs> I, I, have a, I have a diary of books that I've read. And I think it was January. I'm just trying to recall because I, I looked at it last week when uh, I knew I was doing the podcast. I think that was January or, the, or February. And I, there's a particular part of the book that I really like or a, a, the way of, you know, one of the outputs of the book, I think, which is really good. But why, why did you write it? You know, what, what brought you to the do it? The reason why I wrote it is, you know, we have, we've got a front row seat to being able to watch how work changes. Uh, we serve over half of the Fortune 100. We serve all 10 of the top 10 brands in the world. And so we really do. We've got this view of what's going on in these enterprises. And what we kept seeing happen is there'd be a complicated problem inside of an organization, inside a marketing organization, for example. And the senior leadership would kind of turn around to somebody that I might call a digital native. I don't want to necessarily say, hey, they were the younger person in the company, but they're a digital native. They, they kind of had a different way about thinking of things. And this person brought some new innovative ideas into the organization. And so what we saw is this next generation of leaders that were being asked to change work. And every time I had an opportunity to meet with one of these folks, after we finished about talking about maybe some technology or the project or whatever, they'd kind of say, hey, can you tell me, like, how do you actually get stuff done in a big, complicated global organization with people in multiple time zones? Like, this is hard. So we decided to write a book that was just about how do you get stuff done. And the way that we went about doing it is we, we went and interviewed customers. And we literally just asked them a question, like, how do you get stuff done? And that turned into the principles that you that you find in, in the book. And what I continue to find, Lee, is the number one most important skill 
for anybody trying to get stuff done is to be able to frame the work that they want done. Like, why are you doing this? What is the outcome? Who's paying for it? Who's going to get the benefit of it? You know, and it just shocks me. It's the hardest thing to do, number one. It's a real skill set. And every time I see something go right in our company, we framed it well up front. And every time I see it go crashing off the rails, we didn't frame it well up front. Yeah, that resonates. And from my own personal experience, I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this in the marketing and sales element of this because that's the community that this podcast is, is meant for. But as a CEO, you know, you're the CEO of Workfront and the CEO of Blueprint X, you know, the articulation, you know, in a crystal clear way of, you know, your goals and objectives so they can flood through the company is a real skill, you know, a real, real skill. It's the hardest thing to do and, and we don't take enough time. And that was, you know, one of the chapters in the book is all about the commander's intent. And some people don't like the word commander because they think it's got a kind of a military connotation. But Lee, if you think about it, in the history of the world, there was only two reasons why large groups of people came together uh, up until the corporation. It was either religion or war. And so you kind of got to study effectiveness. So we got this notion of commander's intent from a friend of mine named Mark McGinnis, who's a, a retired commander in the Navy SEALs. And and Mark's like, Alex, we train on this. Like, this is the most important thing that I do is frame what I want done, but the outcome so that I can give freedom to people to accomplish it the way they think is best. And so that's Lee, like probably like you, that's where I spend most of my time is trying to make sure that I have framed what we need to do well. And that always starts, you know, you go back to a great Simon Sinek, uh, podcast. It always starts with the why, yeah. right? Why do we want to do this? And I think that gets into the marketer's challenge too, right? They can get into, we can get into pretty quickly. Well, I, you know, I want to experiment with uh, advertising in, in a new channel. Why do you want to do this? And being able to communicate that why. Yeah, completely. I think there's, there's another great book, Jocko Willink, mm-hmm. um, yep. who talks a lot about, actually go back to my early career, I've got a sports background, but in my early career in management, I was actually a lot of the kind of, uh, when I did my MBA, it was a lot of kind of delivered by a lot of guys from the ex-military. And, you know, so I was in my own career, it's been a kind of journey from being a doer, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, kind of in the trenches with a flag, right, guys, behind me, come on, right? And uh, mm-hmm. when you're doing startup businesses, as you know, you kind of got to be like that, yeah, right? Because that's the early days and because there's nothing to articulate on. You just got to kind of make it happen. And then as the business evolves and it gets bigger, then you have to become that kind of leader who can articulate and what the, you know, what the why is and yeah. why is and this the challenge. Important? The challenge, maybe post a link to this for our listeners, there's something that's called Dunbar's number. And it's basically this notion of you can lead like a village chief up to about 100 to 150 people. Because at that, up to that point, you can maintain a personal relationship with everybody that you're leading. And so that your ability to, to talk about the strategy or the, of the organization and connect it to the work that they're doing, you are doing that personally. But then once you get past about 150 people, you can no longer manage 
through personal relationships. So everything we do after Dunbar's number, we're trying to recreate our ability to personally interact with everybody in the organization, explain the strategy, explain why we're doing what we're doing, explain how their work is connected uh, to the strategy. And that's what our customers kept telling us. What they kept telling us is, I live in two worlds. I got my team working on stuff. And me as a senior executive, I'm laying out the strategy of what we want to accomplish. And I'm spending my entire life trying to connect those two things, trying to connect strategy to execution. So Workfront, you've been amazing at helping me with work execution. The next frontier that I want you to help me with, help me with connecting strategy to execution because I can no longer walk around the room and touch everybody personally and help them understand what's going on. And, and so that's a journey we've been on is to try to help our customers do that. I'll take a look at that number. I think I would add two things to that is because in my early career, when I go back to kind of pre-2010, I kind of felt that at that time you could, you know, that number was was maybe around about 100 or 130. But now, and certainly in the last five years, is that, you know, the the new digital native who have come into the workplace, the why is absolutely super important for them, where I think maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, of course, it was an issue, but it was less of an issue. So there's a huge amount of effort that has to be put into that in regards to, but let's use that as a kind of segue into strategy and execution, because it's funny where you lay it out like that, where it's actually, you know, look, we've got, we've been great at mapping out our kind of workflows and all of those kind of things and, and being able to manage our work, but actually what we need to do is tie together strategy and execution and you know, what are the kind of pitfalls that you see in that when you're speaking, you know, in customers previously? What challenges have they had? Yeah, the, there's two challenges, really. The first challenge is translating the strategy to an individual. Lee, what I believe is people do their best work if they understand their role, if they believe that their role matters, and they had the opportunity to be proud of their work. And so if you and I want to get the greatest work out of the organization, if you and I want to get the greatest motivation, it doesn't come from financial rewards. It doesn't come from me saying to you, Lee, if you don't do this, I'm going to fire you. It comes from, first of all, do people enjoy what they're doing? And secondly, can they connect it to a bigger purpose? So the first uh, challenge that we saw with our customers is could they get the strategy to the last mile? Right. Can I, I want everybody to understand the strategy, understand our four key objectives of the company and understand how their department connects to it, how their team connects to that, and then how they individually connect to it. Right. So that was the first challenge. The second challenge that I want or that my customers, that our customers want is, are we making progress against the strategy? Right. So how do we have a feedback loop? That says, great, maybe we did a good job and we got the, stra we got the strategy and our, and our objectives uh, to the last mile. Are we actually making progress against the strategy? So that's what we kept seeing with our customers were those two things of, I just want people to understand how their work is connected to what we're trying to accomplish. And also, if their work's not connected to what we're trying to accomplish, let's have that conversation because maybe they shouldn't be doing the work, right? 
But then also as a senior executive, I just want to understand if, if we're making progress on our strategies and our objectives. That was the challenge that we saw. Yeah, absolutely. I think we did a, a recent uh, piece of research and I just pulled one of the stats out, but I, or a series of stats, but there's one that really relates to that because, you know, the kind of traditional way to do that, which I think I would say is probably 98% of the time is a deck, right? So, you know, the manager or CEO, I've done this as well. And do do this now, right? So here's a deck and here's a presentation of a list of objectives in it. And this is what we're going to do. Right. I'll see you in six months and we'll tell you what we're going to do next. And how, and how many people ever, how many people ever learned anything from a PowerPoint? Zero. Other than how to fall asleep with your eyes open. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and well, it's, it's the, um, you know, I'm a big fan of Ray Dalio, you know, the book yeah. principles and, and I kind of, you know, that that's been kind of fundamental in my career. And, you know, we're trying to create a meritocracy. So, you know, where the best ideas went out. And so it's it's about, you know, can you put something on a table? Can you get the team to, you know, to kind of come around that? And that's one of the things why I always like OKRs mm-hmm. because OKRs, you know, I think they go back to... Intel. Intel, yeah, they, that's they right. They go back yeah. to Intel yeah. and then, I should know this, but one of the board of directors for Google that came out of Intel... Yeah, taught Google the OKR method, but it goes back to I believe Andy Grove at uh, Intel. Yeah, that's right. I think it's is it John Doerr who is a yeah. It's John Doerr. Yeah, John Doerr, I believe with Kleiner Perkins worked with Andy Grove at Intel, and so it's yeah. and it's that ability to cascade. Like if you take Workfront for example, we've got four main objective as a company. One of them is to help our customers adopt and get value from Workfront. So that's a, that's a company objective. It's got metric associated with it, and that's to maintain a greater than 90% gross renewal rate. And then what you'd love to be able to do is get that all the way down to the front line. So for example, we just implemented something called Workfront One, which was a, was a new technology implementation of our Workfront community. Right. Um, and it had it had some improvements in the way that we could get the community to work together. Um, what you want is that team that's working on Workfront One, you want them to clearly understand how what they're doing connects to this objective of getting customers to adopt uh, our technology and get value from the technology. That to me is the beauty of the OKR process of uh, it makes you just be very thoughtful through every level of management that says, okay, if that's what we're trying to do, then what can my team do to contribute to that? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the power, isn't it? So, you know, use your example. If you can, I think a lot of your staff could intellectualize why that is important, right? I think that that's kind of you know, you would agree a common sense there, but actually in their day-to-day actions, it's quite difficult to make that connection between what I'm being asked to do today and, you know, and how your customers use Workfront and how successful they are and the impact that has on the business and all of those kind of things that come together. And I think, is that how you use OKRs? Yeah, if you you thought about it, the hardest skill in my mind is for a frontline manager to be able to translate that Objective. So let's kind of walk through this where this is really hard, Lee. So let's say that one of our goals is to get people to help our customers adopt and get value from, from Workfront, right? So then that might turn around to the overall uh, technology team to say, okay, for us to do that, we've got to be able to provide better integrations for our customers. Okay. For us to do that, 
we've got to, as an example, we've got to make some improvements to our API. Uh, for us to do that, you know, and so that rolls all the way down. And what you love is an engineering team to not say, hey, I'm working on the REST API. What you love for them to do is say, I'm working on the REST API because if our, we have better integrations to lots of different applications, uh, it helps our customers out. It get, allows them to get value. And that is tied to our company goal of, you know, of having more than a 90% gross renewal rate. That's a really hard skill. So if we can provide some technology that yeah. gives the manager visibility to A to B to C to D to E, then that helps him or her have that conversation with the folks doing the work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think there's a good tool called Rockefeller Habits. You, I don't know if you come across that, but I can't remember the Van. Can't remember the guy's name, but it's um, it was all done on paper, and it was again, it was one of those things developed back in this. I think it was the sixties or seventies, and it's it's just about aligning everything through the business. But my kind of hypothesis on that is that it's very very difficult to do because one of the outcomes, and we I see this in marketing teams, is and you know a new CMO will come in or a new CRO in a sales team, um, or in the business, and we want to do things in a different way. And so everyone kind of pivots, goes in a different directions, but no one really knows what they are supposed to do and what impact they now have. So that message hasn't happened. But when I do see it happen, one of the outcomes of that is obviously there's a change to that because the people in the business are now almost boxed in, right? There's, they feel there's a degree of restriction in now what they can do because, you know, maybe six months ago, the engineering team could go off and, you know, develop products how they wanted to develop products or what they thought the client wanted, but now it's got to be tightly aligned back to a, a business you know, objective or goal. And then that kind of takes a bit of time in my experience, about six to 12 months. But is that something you've seen or you see with your clients and you know that kind of window of change? How long does that go on for well, here, in, in your really, experience? The reason why we decided to in, invest and build a, a capability to be able to connect strategy to execution. Is this what we saw from our customers? You're 100% right, Lee. Everybody did this with a PowerPoint, right? Well, then you had to get on planes and fly around and communicate with people. And, and that took some period of time. And then you didn't really know if the work was connected. So you had to you know, go interview people and see if the work that they were doing was connected to, uh, to the strategies. And then, then COVID hit. And post-COVID, speed kills, man. Every customer I'm talking to right now says the number one thing I have to do is move with speed. And so it became no longer acceptable to have a PowerPoint method of communicating the objectives and the key results of the, of the company uh, and then go through an interviewing process to see whether or not those objectives are being met. What you had to have at this, now what you have to have is some technology that allows you to communicate that with speed and it has to be connected to the actual work. So to move with speed, what you really need to move with speed is feedback loops, right? You need a lot of feedback loops moving really fast so that you can, in, in the old world, the old world, we were on a, on a powerboat right? And we fixed our eyes on the horizon and we said, we're going to go there and we're going to go in this direction with a powerboat. Now we're on a sailboat. We're tacking all over the place and we're moving every single day, every single hour, every single minute. And so 
it's insufficient to have a standalone OKR capability. You have to have it connected to the work that's being executed because that's how you drive the feedback loops. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's super powerful. When does the, you know, when are you guys launching that? In three days. <laughs> Good timing then, yeah. Good timing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's, uh, we that was not set up either. No, that was we didn't not set up. But no. it's, uh, it's being released next week. And then we added to that the second thing that people told us that they needed. Because if you think about it, okay, one thing is cascading the strategy in the organization and making sure that strategy is connected to execution. But this will resonate a lot with you, Lee, if you think about marketers. The second thing that folks told us they needed was the ability to iterate very quickly on multiple scenarios, right? So that they could say, okay, here's the digital campaign we want to do, right? It's going to take this many resources and it's take this much time. And then we turn around to the CFO and we tell her, okay, we're executing this new customer engagement campaign and it's $3.2 million. And she says, no, you don't have $3.2 million. You have $2.7 million. Well, now we got to go build another scenario, right? And then we go to the business and we say, well, it's going to take an extra four weeks. And the business goes, well, like we don't have an extra four weeks. Give me another scenario, right? So we created the scenario planning capability so you can look at five or six scenarios and take those scenarios to the business get their commitment and then lock in that scenario and say, okay, remember, you know, we made some compromise here on delivery date, some compromise here on, on investment, some compromise here on the resources that we're going to use. And this is the scenario that we're all going with. So those are the two things that release next week is both uh, an aligned product, which is that strategy to execution, and then a scenario planning product. Kind of think about that, like Anna plan for work that just allows people to iterate on scenarios very quickly. No, super powerful. And that works in a similar way to way an OKR would do in terms of aligning that back to a yeah, goal. Yeah, think of, think of the OKR as what do we want to do? Yeah. And then think of scenario planning as, okay, how are we going to do that? Yeah. Right. And then think about an execution platform like Workfront is, okay, now do that. Right. So we yeah. think you got to line up, what do we want to do? That's strategy which also includes why, how are we going to do it? What are our options to do that? And then let's do that, but then come back and build the feedback loops. Okay, are yeah. we doing that? Does it look like the scenario that we planned? Are we accomplishing what we wanted to accomplish? Lee, that's what our customers kept telling us is was kind of their holy grail of executing. And then as soon as COVID hit, it was like, and I got to do this yesterday. Yeah, because absolutely, it's now a real issue. And I think, is that have things like level of impact, level of effort, all that kind of stuff in terms of what's the return on investment of making, you know, from a scenario A, B, and C kind of thing? Yeah, and that's exactly the conversation. If you think about being a marketing executive, right, the conversation that you want to have with the business is not, can I have funding? The conversation that you want to have with the business is, I can accomplish three different outcomes with three different levels of funding or three different levels of resource constraints, that could be people or time, let's have an agreement, um, right? Because that marketer lives in this world where they either spend too much money or don't deliver enough outcome. And it's really not the marketer's fault. It's the fact that the marketer could never go to the business and say, okay, king or queen, uh, what outcome do you want? And how much money are you willing to spend? And and really get the business to own the decision instead of blaming the marketer when they didn't accomplish what the business couldn't really tell them to accomplish. 
Yeah, no, completely. I think that's the, we've always had a philosophy within Blueprint of asking our clients and ourselves, so what, right? So, you know, we want to do this. Well, so what? Why? Why do we want to do that? And, and then just keep asking that question and try to get back to what is that scenario? Is it growth? Is it, you know, sustainable growth? Is it retention? Is it efficiency? And really trying to drill down. And I think that is one of the super important questions that any leader um, of any type can ask now is, you know, what, so what? Why am I doing this? What impact is it going to have? What's the effort I need to put in? And look, your tool is clearly going to help them do that. So uh, I don't think you could have picked a better time. We couldn't have picked a better time. You couldn't have picked a better time to launch it. We couldn't have picked a better time to talk about it, for sure. And I'm super excited to see it when uh, in the next few days when you launch it. Yeah. Well, we're fortunate. Like I said, we've got uh, we got relationship with 3,000 customers around the globe, and they're kind enough to make that an intimate relationship. And so they've been pretty open about what their needs are. You know, if you think about the marketer's need, they have to be able to respond quickly uh, to deliver for the business, but they have to do it in an increasingly personalized way to the buyer, which creates a tremendous amount of complexity and orchestration. So it's really putting those two things together, Lee, which is, you know, how do I explain to the business what they're getting for their investment? And then how do I turn around and orchestrate an increasing level of complexity inside the marketing organization? In my mind, the, the marketers that do that are not just going to win, but they're going to be seen as the executives that are actually transforming the business. I think this is a great time for a CMO to step up and be the transformation agent uh, for the business. Yeah, and really drive business impact. I think the other thing I would add in is um, to that is, you know, we now have a more complex situation where kind of a lot of people are in lots of different locations, right? So I did a podcast a few weeks ago with one of our clients. They had about 40, 50 marketed people all on one site. You know, that's now changed overnight. You know, that adds a level of complexity to this situation as well, right? Which one, is one of much my bigger favorite, than what it was. I actually talked to him in our, in our customer conference. One of my favorite uh, interviews that I got to do right after COVID was with the chief technology officer of John Paul Mitchell uh, Systems. And it was just, uh, that's a, in the States, it's a, it's a, a hair care, probably more than hair care. I'm probably underrepresenting it, but their customers are the salons, right? And it was just this amazing story about how they were about to have their 40th anniversary, bring everybody into maybe Vegas or something like that, all their salon owners into Vegas, have a big celebration. And then COVID hit and the salons were deeply impacted. And the founder and CEO of John Paul Mitchell System said, hey, we're going to invest in our salons, our customers. And they uh, created a salon stimulus program. Um, and the whole company had to pivot overnight to your point, with everybody distributed. And then just listening to the story was really inspiring about how they did that. And it, what it taught them is we can actually do this. We don't have to all be in the same location anymore. Absolutely. One of the things that, and then we'll kind of wrap it up a little bit, but because I, I yeah, don't want to take up all day from you, because I know it's early there, but I don't want to take all up all in your morning. But is the, the other element to that is it, I think it has, it has been easier for businesses to pivot during COVID. You know, I think what it does is it gives that collective problem that we can all get around. But what I'm really interested in from a humanistic 
psychological perspective is once we get back to normal, right, the, the normal problems and challenges of working from home are going to come back. And so I think, you know, we, we've, we've lots of businesses have benefited from the goodwill of their employees to be super flexible working from home, but that is going to become increasingly difficult. So, the, you know, the kind of the hypothesis that I would make is that now is the time to get these things in because actually when we go into next year, hopefully when things get back to normal, then if you kind of got this thing in, then it's going to make it much easier for to you to reap the benefits of all those kind of things. And it's a couple of things. One, you know, one of the things that Phil Oster, he's the head of technology for John Paul Mistral Systems. One of the things he told me is we learned that we could work differently. And now people in the organization that not necessarily resistant, but that would have been a new way for them. Now they're the ones coming up with ideas. Right. The second thing, Lee, that we brought our customer advisory board together the third week after lockdown in the States. And what they all told us is, okay, we've, we immediately tried to solve the synchronous work problem. The synchronous, we, we bought our crisis tech stack. We bought Slack and Zoom. And, but what we realized is there's a tremendous amount of asynchronous work that happens that if we try to, to your point, if we try to make our people do it on this tool set, we're going to burn them out, all right, because that means they're going to be on the, on a Zoom call 12 hours a day. So we've got to connect technologies to manage asynchronous work. Those are our platforms. You know, we have a platform. Other people have a platform. But those are our platforms like a work front. We've got to connect those to the platforms that we're using for synchronous work. And if we can do that, then we can relieve the pressure, um, the, fo- uh, uh, the pressure from work from home, if you will. And the risk, the risk is uh, you think things about financial services and you think about compliance, you know, that's being tolerated currently, you know, business have had to tolerate it, but that, you know, can't last forever. So that's got to be tightened up. So these kind of, that kind of infrastructure, the infrastructure we're talking about here has got to, got to come in place, but look, covered a lot of ground. Uh, great as always. I'm going to make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes. So LinkedIn, a new product. I'm going to put the white paper in, which is some research that we did yeah. with you guys. No, I read recently. your research. It's I read your research, and folks listening to this should read your research. It's really fascinating. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think um, and we'll we'll also put some best practice in there and a bunch of other different stuff because we really want this to be a resource. And uh, there are ways of solving these problems, and I think that's part of the problem. Awareness is of this subject matter is part of the the big issue, the big challenge. So we want to get it out there. But look, Alex, where should people reach out to you? What's the best way if they want to get to you or and and ask them these questions? The easiest way, and this will tell you how early I was on Twitter, the easiest way is just at Shootman. So S-H-O-O-T-M-A-N at Shootman. Just reach out to me there and, and that's the best way to to connect with me. I remember you saying that last time, actually, that, that uh, <laughs> you want to, you definitely want to keep that address. But Alex, look, I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time and enjoy the rest of the day, yeah? And I just want to put a plug in for y'all. Uh, we've had an opportunity to, to work with Lee Yu and, and your organization. And y'all are really awesome at being able to help customers uh, simplify the journey to transformation. So uh, for those folks listening to this, uh, make sure that you, that you check out Lee and his team. Thanks, Alex. I much appreciate that. It means a lot coming from um, someone with your credibility and experience. So appreciate that. 
It was great being with you this morning. Try not to sweat for the rest of the day. <laughs> I will. Have a good one. You can find all of this information and more on blueprintx.com, where you can find high quality show notes and other great stuff. And you can also sign up for my weekly update on interesting things I have found in sales and marketing. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.